Hello? Yes. Hi. Hi, we are the Byron family. I'm Matt. This is my wife, Julia. These are our kids, Ben, Caroline, and Audrey Kate. Our scripture reading today is Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saving to an, they were saying to another, who will roll away this who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. The entering of the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and he, ris he, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they lay him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the living word of God for us today. Be seated. Great job, Byron family. Do you guys remember the, the, the show, uh, the contest Family Feud? You know, some of us, you know, it's still going. Originally aired in 1976. It became the number one game show just almost immediately. 40 years later, y'all, it's still a top three a game show. You know how it works. Two families feuding with one another. Um, they're, they're trying to guess the most popular answer to a survey question that had been given to 100 random people. Uh, I'm going to play one round with you this morning as we step into our message. I want you to raise your hand if you... If you Know the answer. There's nothing tricky about this, real, truly. So, so raise your hand if you get this. If, you know, I'm looking, so if I, where I see the hand, I'm going to point. But here's the question. This is from 2012, actual episode in 2012. When someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? LeBron James. LeBron James. I should have never looked down there. Elvis, Elvis, not LeBron James. I'm sorry. I know, I know. It was, it was 2012, but you know, Elvis, 81 out of 100. I mean, it was overwhelmingly Elvis, the king. Jesus barely made double digits. He didn't make double digits. In fact, he was, had seven votes and he was just ahead of Burger King who got two. I don't think LeBron got zero on that day. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, this is 2,000 years ago, y'all, when he came into Jerusalem, uh, the, question, the literal question was, is he the king? That was the question. And the emphasis would be on the. Is he the king? Not a king, but, but the anticipation, is he the king, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who will come and set us free and restore Israel's fortunes? 
On the way in, the triumphal entry, the answer was yes. He's the king who's come to deliver. Five days later, on Good Friday, the answer was no. No, he's not the king. He's not powerful enough to deal with our enemies. So the Hosanna, glory to God, became crucify him, crucify him. It's now three days that he's been in the grave, and I would suggest that the disciples, I would say those closest to him, and we know this by the historical records in the the biblical text, they were crushed with this thought still. Is he? Because he's dead. How can he be the king? Bible scholars have long understood Mark's gospel to be answering that question. That's the theme of Mark's gospel. Is he the king? That's why we chose the reading for this Easter Sunday for Mark's account in chapter 16, verses one through eight of the resurrection. But I'm gonna step us back a chapter into 15 and we're gonna move rather quickly through it. But we're gonna look at how Mark just puts the spotlight on this phrase in the first 32 verses of chapter 15, six times Jesus the King, Jesus the King of the Jews, Jesus the King of the Jews, six times he puts the focus there. And we're gonna look at the response of, of, um, of, of Pilate, of the religious leaders, the crowd, the soldiers. And it's as if Mark says, notice their response and how they, how they came to this question and answered it. And, and, and it's like, how do we answer it in light of there? So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 15. I'm gonna be moving through the first 20 verses. We'll take a little section at a time, beginning first in verses one through five. This is describing Pilate. And it reads, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, here's the first time, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things and Pilate asked him, have you no answer to make? See how, see how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. As this day dawns, um, it's, it's the beginning of a day which was preceded by a night of a nighttime trial of Jesus. That's illegal in Jewish law. It was an illegal trial. You don't think they're banned from having a trial at night. So to address that problem, they have this consultation in the morning and they come up with a new charge. You see at the night trial, they found we can charge him for blasphemy, which is a religious crime. You know, he's claiming to be God or he's lying about God, but they have no legal grounds with that charge to kill him and they want him dead. And so now they're gonna come up with a a, a new charge. They're gonna move from the religious charge of blasphemy to the state crime of treason. And we know that because of Pilate's question. They say, are you the king of the Jews? Because if you're the king, we have a major problem. There's only one king, his name is Caesar, and anyone else would have to die. Jesus' answer is clear and not so clear, isn't it? So you say, it's really two Greek words. And so the answer when he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus's answer is, 
you say. And it's, it's, so it's like, you say, yeah, you say. It's what you just said. And clearly the implication is, and I'm not the king that everyone's saying that I am. So the religious leaders, you know, they're unleashing a waterfall of accusations on Jesus and Jesus does not say another word and Pilate is amazed. There's one response. Be amazed. Why is he so amazed? Well, I, I think in at least this, look at verse 10. It says, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So Pilate, Pilate knows that these charges are from people who uh, envy Jesus, that he, he knows they're, they're false charges. And we know what Pilate thinks, by the way, when we go to verse 26, it says the inscription on the charge above him read, <coughs> the king of the Jews, who put that there? Pilate put that there. Pilate's amazed because Jesus makes no defense. Surely he's put innocent people to death before, um, but here he has one who is innocent and is not saying a word. So for Pilate, it's, I have the power to kill you. Know, your life is in my hands. I know you're innocent and you're not gonna say anything? Of course, Pilate thought his life was in his hands, but nothing could be further from the truth. Perhaps some of you in the room looking at me now, some of you online that are looking at me, perhaps your response is Jesus the king, you're amazed. I honestly think this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Christian, a Christ follower, but I think any human being who would just look at the historical figure of Jesus would at some level be amazed. It's an amazing man. But to be amazed is to fall short. If you don't have the eyes to see that he's the king, okay, then amazement, I get it. That's about as far as you might go. How about the religious leaders in the crowds? Verse six, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you? Here we go. The king of the Jews. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with the man, note the pronoun, you call the king of the Jews. And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's consider first the religious leaders and this is kind of a crass way to say this, but I, I, I do believe it's true. If Jesus is who he says he is and he's the king, then they're out of a job. They're out of a job. And here's what I mean. By this time, the, the, the role of high priest and those who served in the temple, the religious leaders, you all, it's financially lucrative. It's 
it's a position of influence. They've got real power. If Jesus is the king, they have none of it. And that may be for some of us. You know, we, we, we go, if, if he's the king, then it could, it could cost me everything. And I won't lie to you, it will, because that's what Jesus says. How about the crowds? It's like they turn on a dime. What, what's going on? I don't think it was very hard for the religious leaders to turn the crowd so quickly and to start yelling, Barabbas, and crucify Jesus. I want you to think about this. When, when Jesus entered and the crowds are chanting, uh, Hosanna, glory in the highest, this is our king. They're thinking this is the king that's gonna get rid of Rome. It's gonna set us free. And so now they, they watch these events unfold over the week and here's this man, this all-powerful king who healed the sick, who calmed storms, who fed thousands with loaves and fishes. He's, he's bound by the religious leaders. They've, they've brought charges against him and he's not saying anything. It's like if there was ever a time to show your power, Jesus does none of it and remains silent. And so the relig religious leaders could quick, I, I think, could turn the crowd so quickly to say, look, do you want this guy or do you want this guy who's already killed a few Roman soldiers? <laughs> we'll take this guy, right? And they do. And the crowd turns. And I, I might use this word for the crowd. Um, they were disillusioned. You know, they, they had illusions of this kingdom they were disillusioned when Jesus portrayed none of that. And so perhaps you like the crowds are disillusioned. You know, Jesus is the king, but, but it may be, honestly, and I get this, you, you, you go, yeah, but I don't know that he could deliver me from what I need delivering from, or I don't know that he could give me what I want, what I really want. And, and he, you're disillusioned with Jesus. So there's, there's Pilate who's, you know, Pilate is, he looks at Jesus and is just amazed. There's the religious leaders who are threatened. I'll lose every, I'll lose it lose all I have. There's the crowd who's disillusioned. I don't think that guy can defeat Rome. And then there's the soldiers. We'll look at them quickly. Verses 16 to 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. They, they called 600 soldiers. Don't you, sometimes I go, why, why'd you have to bring everybody in, this one person? And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Here we go again. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak Put on his own clothes, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. 
it seems a line is crossed, doesn't it? Let's just think rationally as human beings. When another person shames another by mocking, mocking. I don't care if it's on the playground or if it's in the boardroom. It is, it's something nauseating about it, quite frankly. It's a measure of cruelty where you, you, you make fun of some. It's not, it's one thing to disagree. It's one thing to say someone, they're, you're wrong. It's another to mock, to make fun of, to demean, to, to, to elevate yourself. When Jesus arrived to the, with these soldiers, please note he's already a bloody mess. I mean, he, he's a bloody mess. When they scourged him, they'd use a flagellum, which would be a whip embedded with pieces of metal or stone. And you know what happens if I had a whip and I would have hit that, the, the podium right here, it, it'd go whoop, 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 wrap around, and then I'd rip it off, right? That's what, that's what they would do. So, you know, the best way to describe this is Jesus is, they would have his hands above him and they would whip him, and it would be like being whipped around your whole midsection with strands of barbed wire. I mean, he's just, you know, there, there's cases where entrails would fall out after a, a flagellation. That's the condition he's in. So, so it's not like a big, sturdy, strong man comes in and they're going to mock him. He's a beaten man. It's cruel. We don't have any indication that the soldiers were following orders. So why are they doing it, right? They weren't ordered. There's no record. Just, is it just entertaining? Is it just meanness? I, you know, you go, hmm. Some think this, and, and, and this is a nuance in the text that we often miss. You know, when the crowds were saying, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Um, Barabbas means son of the father. So in, that, in, in, that, in what happened there, it's the son of the father who's guilty of treason. It's Barabbas. And then there's Jesus, the son of the father, who's guilty of nothing. And so in a beautiful way, you, you have the gospel told to us there where the, the one who is guilty is set free through no merit of their own. And the one who is innocent is condemned to die. And so this Roman soldier killer has been released. And perhaps this battalion of soldiers don't like it. I kind of get that. Look, we lost troops because of this guy and this guy's now set free because of this piece of blankety blank and they unleash upon him. I would also suggest this. 
it is a true picture of humanity and what any human being is capable of. You you go, I'd never be that cruel. Under certain circumstances, it's the, the, the veil is so thin between sanity and cruelty and they cross the line. Perhaps some in the room, some online, you go, well, that, I'm, I'm not that. I'm not, I'm not cruel. I would say that there is no lack of mockery of Jesus in our day. Is there, is there those who would just make fun of Jesus and present a caricature of Jesus that's not anywhere close to the biblical revelation of who he is? For any who don't have eyes to see, Jesus is the king. Cruelty's not that far away. It, it really is not a long step. So you have Pilate. You have the religious leaders. You have the crowd. You have the soldiers. And the question that sits on the text and sits to us is, is he the king? And it's the question of Easter. I wanna remind us, y'all, it's not a survey question. So, so whatever the majority answer is, that's what you get. No, it's not a survey question. Uh, this is a question that has but one right answer and I would say that there is but one who can answer it definitively, decisively for us. And that would be God. We need need God's answer to the question, is Jesus the king? I was teaching at Brentwood last week, the same passage that Rob taught here. We're we're in Good Friday or in um, uh, Palm Sunday. And I said then, and I'll say to you that the triumphal entry was an acted out prophecy. So, you know, in the Old Testament, um, a prophet might preach, you know, for his whole life. And, and at some point, not all of them, God might tap one on the shoulder and say, okay, it's time. Go get the yoke, put the yoke on your neck, and I want you to walk around so that everyone gets the message. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, Nobody's confused. You're in bondage. <laughs> so they act it out. The triumphal entry, I, I, I do believe, is an acted out prophecy. It's a very concrete presentation of Jesus as king. There's no one in Jerusalem that could stand back and go, what, what, what's going on? No, that guy's on the donkey and he's the king because he's allowing them to praise him. They're throwing cloaks down. They're putting palm Do you know what I'm saying? He's the king. It's, it's an acted out. Prophecy. In the same way, God answers the question, is Jesus the king? Not with just words, but with an acted out word. He does so in a visual, visible, tangible, concrete way that no one can miss if you have eyes to see it, if you have eyes to see it. 
which reminds me of another King story. Do you remember Hans Christian Andersen's The Emperor's New Clothes? Are we still reading that in school? I, or some, you know, I would think we're somewhat familiar. That these two swindlers come into town. There's a king who's as vain as can be and loves to wear beautiful clothes, changes several times a day. And the two weavers come in to say, hey, we have magic thread. We weave magic cloth. It's the most beautiful, gorgeous of any material in the land. The king pays him a huge sum of money to make his outfit and his robe, the train of his robe. They work night and day, night and day, night and day. King sends someone over to go, go check on the material. Here's the catch. The magic thread is so magic that if you are unfit for your position, like you don't deserve to be where you are in life, whatever, you're unfit for your position, or if you're unusually stupid, you can't see it. So when the guy goes to check on it, you know, he's the king's courtier, you know, second in command, he's looking at nothing, but, he's, but in his mind he's going, but that would mean I'm unusually stupid and I don't even belong in this role. So he goes back and says, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. And of course the story goes on till the king parades through town after they dressed him in the magic threads until the little boy said what? Along the lines of what? Has no clothes. It's like the kid saw what was true. You know, Jesus says in this gospel, back in chapter 10, the disciples brought these little kids and the, and the disciples are a little miffed, you know, get them off of him, get them away. And Jesus says, Mark records, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Thousands of years earlier, Psalm 8, verse 2, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Perhaps we need the voice of a child and the vision of a child to remind us how God answered. We're asking, how did God answer the question, is Jesus the king? Well, it just so happened on Friday, I was taking my two girls to the airport. They're going to visit uh, Emma Wellens, some of you know Bill and Hillary's daughter, Emma. She's in New York. And one of my daughters, Susan, has been in a discipleship group with Aaron Frizzell. And some of you know Bubba and Aaron Frizzell, been at fellowship a long time. Both of them used to be on staff, in fact, but still around. And so this is like at 4.30 in the morning, and, and Susan goes, oh, my gosh, I got I to play this for you guys. I want you guys to hear this. Aaron had picked up their daughter, Eden, who's four years old from a Mother's Day out just that, you know, that week. And as, as we parents tend to do, when our kids are saying stuff, we want to capture, you know, she, she, she got it and played it for me. After I got back to my office, I sent a text to Susan and said, send that to me because it was just so aligned with helping us see. And so I want you to listen to these words from the mouth of a child on how God answered the question, is Jesus the king? This is four-year-old Eden Frizzell.
so so Jesus died on the cross so they put needles in his hands to hang on the cross and he do his foot like this and kneel them in and and he was hanging on the cross and 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 he was wrapped up in a cloth and the and Jesus was in a cave and 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 the angels angel sit on the rock and and um um and he the and the rock was rolled away and Jesus was not there. He was alive again. That's amazing. <laughs> How, how do you get, how can you, how do you miss it? He was not there, okay. He was alive again. Is this not an echo of the angels that morning who spoke to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Luke's gospel recounts the story. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Matthew's account, he's risen, he's not here. He rose just as he said he would. Remember what he told you. God answers the question, is Jesus the king by raising Jesus from the grave? And there is no king in the history of the world, nor will there ever be, who is raised from the grave because Jesus is the only king. He's not just our king, he's Lord. He's king of kings of heaven and earth and all that is in them. This is the message of Easter. But there's a second question that you can't separate from the first. Is he the king? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out because we're gonna ponder this question for a moment and respond with them. The second question, Pilate gets at it, not directly, indirectly, in verse 12. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king? of the Jews. Now sit with that for a moment because this is the question. What will I do with Jesus, the king of the Jews? What will you do? This is what I'm asking you. This is what the text is asking us. Rob mentioned last week that the, when the, in the triumphal entry, the, the crowd was yelling, you know, Hosanna, Glory to God in the highest. He's, they're yelling, here's our king. They were saying it with their lips, but he was not king in their hearts. <laughs> they, they hadn't believed and put their trust in the king. Whether we respond like Pilate or the religious leaders, the crowd, like the soldiers, anything less than seeing Jesus as the king and trusting Jesus as my king, okay? Anything less falls short. And so here's our 
invitation to life in response today is there's two. The first would simply be this. If, if you're looking at me right now, here in the room or online, and you've never put your trust in Christ, you, everything looks good on the outside. People would maybe even look at you and go, yeah, is so-and-so a Christian? Yeah, they go to church. They say the right things, they're a Christian. But if you know in your heart you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus. And if the gospel is just making a little bit of sense to you, trust me, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only one who can make sense of this. I can't explain it. No one can explain it to make sense to you, but God. And so if what I'm saying is, is beginning to make sense to you, that the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, and death is separation from God, and that you're aware that you're not perfect, you're not holy, you have sinned, and it's dawning on you, wait, so that means if I've sinned, then, then I need to be punished by death, I need to be separated from God forever, that's the just punishment for sin, then the Spirit is speaking to you. And if it's becoming clear to you in some way, you go, wait, so, wait, this is Easter. So, so Jesus hung on the cross and he died. He was buried. And now we're saying Easter Sunday, he rose from the grave. Okay, only, only sinners, only a sinner would die. That would be unjust for God, for, for death to take a non-sinner. But Jesus, if he had no sin, why did he die? Because he died on the cross for our sins. So Jesus took all of, my, all of my sin and yours on himself. And God poured his wrath out upon Jesus. Jesus was separated from the Father for us. And then three days later, he rose again. And we go, well, he rose again. Oh, okay, he rose again because death can't hold an innocent man. And so Jesus rose and Jesus says, I have paid the price for your sin. Come to me. Put your trust in what I did. That's the invitation for some of you today. To put your confidence and your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And to say to God, God, I believe what Jesus did. He did it for me. And I'm trusting that. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it ultimately means to recognize Jesus as the king. And I invite you in these moments, talk to God and put your faith in Jesus. And then for all who've put their faith in Christ, what a wonderful day to bow our knee once again. To acknowledge Jesus, you're my king. And if there's repentance that needs to take place, confession of sin, this is a good time to do that, you know? I've been following some other kings recently, whatever it may be, but God, you, Jesus, you are my king and I'm resting in you and I acknowledge you're my king and I know that you as my king cost me everything, but you as my king give me more than I can ever imagine. I'm gonna give you a chance. I'm gonna take a moment and whether it's to trust Christ for the first time or bowing you afresh to remind yourself who's your king. I want you to go before the throne of grace this morning. Would you do that?
God, thank you that you hear our prayers. You know our hearts. Open our eyes to see Jesus. And grant us the faith to respond, to act on what we see and know, put our confidence in Christ alone. Let me invite you, would, would you stand please? I invite everyone to stand. Were you to survey 100 people today and ask them this question and to say, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring, I assure you, Elvis is still king on that, on that answer. But for you and I, the answer is Jesus is the king. The empty tomb is still speaking. It will always speak. It's empty. God has answered the question with resurrection. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the promised Christ, the anointed one come to save us. He's Lord of heaven and earth and all creation. He's the King, the Savior of the world. He's the King of kings to whom every knee will bow. Not today, not, not in you know, in, in, in life, but there'll come a day when he returns and every person who's ever lived will bow the knee because Jesus is the king. So let's join the chorus. Uh, let's join the cry of the empty tomb and the voices of the angels to say the tomb is empty and Jesus, you are king.